What's up, fuckers? Welcome to Tales of a Shitty Indie Worker. I am Jason Hampton. I am Josh Cox. And tonight we're just going to, uh, hey, we're going to go ahead and be honest. We recorded the podcast and forgot to record the intro, so here we are. Uh, hell, the episode tonight, it, hell, I'm not going to lie, it's not the best, it's not the worst, it's shitty, but hell, so are we. Shitty technical difficulties, shitty year of wrestling. So, uh, yeah, uh, tonight we're going to talk about our first years in the business. Josh talks about, uh, getting trained by Tristan Daniels and Big Will, uh, talks a little bit about his transition into refing. Uh, I go through, I talk about getting trained at a karate studio on karate mats, uh, all the way through to forming a tag team until the affair broke up the tag team. I'm not going to go into any more because you're going to hear that later. But yeah, we hope you enjoy. Uh, We're going to get right into it, so we're going to give a little bit of wiki wiki sounds in here i'm trying to play around to learn a little more about this whole anchor app it's you know hell it's cool as shit i already got a commercial in here for it but check it out uh download it anchor.fm it's a little handy dandy technological advancement to get your thoughts out there so anything you want to add fucker no shithead. Let's just go in and let's see if these fuckers like this. Alright, so, like I said, a little bit of sound, and then we're going to come right back with Josh getting into his first year. Enjoy. Alright, so we're going to get right into it and learn a little bit about Josh's first year in wrestling. But uh, before that, we'll go back to, you know, kind of your youth, your childhood. What got you into wrestling? What made you want to be a wrestler? Well, I've always watched wrestling. Ever since I was a kid, my family watched wrestling. And vividly, the first few things I always remember seeing as a kid was Kane and The Undertaker. I remember Kane coming out. You know, he had his mask. He had this big old suit on. And The Undertaker, he always scared me as a kid. And it was just something about these characters and that the way that they presented themselves in the ring. That always drove me to, you know, want to find a way to get into wrestling in some aspect. Okay, so Kane and Undertaker scared you shitless, and you're like, I want to do that. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, so you wanted to shit your pants in front of millions of people. Well, Got you. Well, there's been plenty of people that have done that in our business. Hey, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how old were you when you decided, okay, I'm gonna really going to give it a shot? I think it's about 19, 20 years old. Okay, so 19, 20 years old. Uh, where did you train? TWA. TWA. Okay, good show. That's actually where I met you. We talked about mm-hmm. that last week. That's right. So I didn't know that that was where you trained, though, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I know you said Big Will did train you, but who actually got you in touch with Big Will? Who brought you down there? Uh, well, Corey Dye was the first person that I got in contact with when he told me that he was actually training because when I was uh, trying to actually figure out where I wanted to do this, I didn't think there was anywhere in this area that trained. I figured, okay, I'm going to have to go out of town, like Atlanta or Nashville or something. And Corey's like, no, man, we got a local show over here in Dalton. You can come over here and train for it. So I was like, all right. And he got me in touch with Tristan. 
Tristan Daniels, and he took part briefly in my training, and he had some you know personal issues he had to work out, and then that's okay. You the, say briefly? How briefly was it? Like less than a month, I want to say. Okay. Like how he, long did you train in total? In total, it was about six, seven months. Okay, so you trained about six months or so, one month, Tristan. So you had a good five, six months with Will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did he, you know, how did your training sessions go? Did you? Well, you know, we'd always start off with the warm-ups. We'd do the Hindu squats. Uh, we would do, uh, of course, we would do the bumps. and We would do monkey flip, monkey rolls around the ring. So it would always start with, all right, I'm going to teach you the basic stuff about wrestling. First thing is learn how to bump. So the first thing he would do is like, all right, I want you to take a flat back bump and land on your back. That's all he said. So I go to take a bump. I land flat on my back. Next thing I know, back of my head hits that mat. Now I'm coming up. I'm dizzy as shit. And he's like, all right, what do you think you did wrong? I was like, I don't know. He's like, does your head hurt? I like, yeah. He's like, you need to tuck your chin. So next time you take a bump, tuck your chin, fall flat on your back. So I'll do that. So we practice taking back bumps. Now then we move over to the fallen tree. Handstand, you know, let your mm -hmm. hands out from under you, flat back bump. Now then we go to the front bump, then our ass bump. So he would make us do a bunch of bumps until we got it down pat. If we messed up one time, all right, do it again. Do it again. If there was anything that was off, you'll do it again. Because, I mean, each of these bumps is precise. If you mess up a bump, when you're in a spot, you could break an arm, break a neck, break a leg, hurt somebody right. else. So he, when he, he wanted you to be precise, he wasn't kidding. I mean, because this is this business is serious. If you mess up a bump, it could it could hurt you. It could end your end your career. So we do that, and then we would start doing monkey rolls around the ring, in the ring. So one thing that he would do, we would have one guy in one corner and one guy in another corner. It would be like a race. Flip, hit the turnbuckle. Roll, hit the turnbuckle. So you had one person in front of you, one person in behind you. So if anybody, when you was doing those flips, and that person got in front of you and beat you before you hit that turnbuckle, he made you take a bump. All right, pick your bump. What are you doing? Do the bump and get back in line and do it again. We'll do that for, you know, an hour, hour and a half. And like I said, each day we'll be practicing the bumps. And then, you know... You would roll for an hour and a half or you would bump for... It would, it would go back and forth. We'd roll and then bump. Okay, okay. And then, after that, you know, one of the first holds that I learned to do was to lock up. And I can't tell you, that's probably the one that took me the longest to get right down pat. Because I'm a short guy. So I would always lock up way too high. And they're like, no, you got to lock down a little bit low because you're shorter. Let us come to you. So I'd always have my arm right there on their shoulder instead of, like, you know, right down here on their right. on their forearm. So they would always have to do that. Then you'd go there. It's like, all right. So one of the first things you do after a, a lockup, what would be the next step you'd go? I'd like, headlock. So you're going to a headlock. That's one of the next basic steps. And I remember, first time I did a headlock, I had... My left foot out in front of me. First thing he did is like, I want, you want me to tell you why that's the wrong thing to do? I was like, no, yeah, sure, why? And he picked me up, gave me a back drop. Dumped you on your head. Yep. Yep. It's like, you you do that with any veteran in this business, you're gonna get dropped. You're gonna get dropped on your head in the backdrop. So right foot in front of you, not your left. So he he would do headlocks for a little bit. We'd get, lock up, do a headlock. Lock up, do a headlock. It would go from there. Then would, of course, you know, we'd run the ropes. Now these are not in order of how we did stuff, but this is stuff that's coming off my head, what I remember. So now running the ropes, I can't tell you how many rope barns I have, how many times I got blowed up. You know, then you do drop down. So you'd get two guys in the ring. One person be running the ropes, he'd have one person run the ropes, and he'd have the other person go down. So as soon as he hit the ropes, all right, down, boom, drop down. 
leap, jump over, drop down again, hit the ropes, drop down. So we'll do that. And you know, after that, you know, each every now and then they would have a couple of veterans come in to help us with some stuff. I remember Michael Cross came in to help us with some stuff. I don't. I think maybe it was once or twice Arden came in to help us with some stuff. And you know, they would incorporate each bump that we learned and do a basic move with it. So I remember Michael Cross coming in would do body slams. He'd come up to us. He'd tell us post up on, take one arm, post up on a leg, body slam, flat back bump. He would body slam each of us, you know, a few times. Right. And uh, I remember Arden did the same thing with us, body slams. You know, then they would show us how to do hip tosses. You know, come up, jump, flat back bump. And they would show us how to do arm drags, you know. Simple stuff. And then after that, I remember one of the hardest training sessions I've had, but also one of the most fun times I've ever had, was when Woody came in and brought some of his trainers, trainees. It was him, he had a crash test dummy, Ray Ray, and a couple other guys. So, you know, he would, we would take bumps, and would run the ropes, do the monkey rolls, all that stuff. Then he would, you know, kind of incorporate stuff from a match. Like he would show us how to do, like, when you're in the corner, you know, like, roll up, grab a monkey flip, flip him over, hold on to him. You can roll over into, a, like, a sunset flip. He would show us how to do that. He would show us how to do a little chain wrestling, arm bars, arm hammer locks. And one of the funnest things I remember learning how to do was you'd have somebody in a hammer lock. You know, you're trying to fight it, trying to work the crowd, grab the rope flip over to try to get out of it come back into a, a, a hammerlock of your own so just little things that he taught me how to do and one of the things he also taught me how to do is I'm remembering now like when you're in the ring and you're trying to keep your balance he would teach us that boxers would always you know prepare and sit up on their on their tiptoes you know like that when they're running wow. around the ring he taught us that as well so I don't know if Woody will remember any of this if he ever hears this podcast but, you know, those few four hours, you know, running after I, after I got done training, yeah, I was bruised. I was, you know, sore. But, you know, I had fun. I felt like Woody taught me a lot of stuff. And it was just something that I, I, I always, I've always remembered throughout the course of my time in the wrestling business. Right. Yeah, Woody's a damn good teacher. I learned a lot from him. We ran a, uh, I ran an angle with him when I was really young in the business, just over a year in. And, uh... I have the distinction of being able to say that I pinned Woody with my hands tied behind my back. Oh, that's great. So uh, that was fun. But yeah, learned a lot from him just, just doing that short angle. So I can imagine, you know, a good four-hour long training session with him, what that would have done. That was, it was incredible. So uh, you told us last week, you know, about your first couple of matches working Cody and then the tag match you were in. Uh how long after that did you wrestle? Not too long, because I was working a lot, and then I had to work on weekends, and you know most of our shows are on the weekends, so I would only have a few matches sporadically throughout those next few months. And then the reason that I think I decided to transition into rest, uh, into refereeing is mainly because when I finally you know got you know a stable job to where I wasn't working on the weekends all the time, I didn't want to just come back in and say, hey, can I get a spot on a card somewhere? Or, hey, can I do this? I didn't want to take nobody's spot or I didn't want to be disrespectful to the business and try to just push my way back in there still being green and still not knowing a whole lot. So I figured, okay, I know but I know about refing. I can, I can, you know, just transition to a referee and, you know, it'll be a lot easier to get a spot on the card and say, hey, y'all guys need an extra ref as opposed to, hey, you guys need an extra worker and then getting in the ring, blowing a spot, hurting myself or hurting one of the guys that I'm working with. Right. 
So you decided I suck major balls at wrestling, so I'm just going to ref. You know what? I was a shitty wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's perfect for this podcast because we are all shitty wrestlers. But, uh, yeah. So you decide to ref. You do all this. Are you still getting into it every now and then? Do you still looking for different things to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think other than refereeing, the other two main things that I've been wanting to get into is managing and commentating. So I've talked to Chip a couple of times about managing and, you know, I'm still working on the type of character that I would want to be if I do decide to become a manager. I've, I've got the person that I want to manage and it's because I've known him his whole life. And it's because I think we would have good chemistry together, but it's finding that right character and finding the right fit and the right time to start that. Okay, I got you. I got you. Uh, what kind of characters have you thought up? Anything? Uh, good, one of the characters anything? I keep popping into my head is like a sleazy businessman type of deal where, you know, you come in, I'm dressed in like this unkempt suit, tie, untie, you know, shirt all sweaty, you know, and then I'm trying to, you know, con my way into being this guy's manager. So that's one thing that I, that's mainly the one thing that keeps popping in my head. I'm just trying to find the best way to incorporate it. Okay, I got you. I understand that. Well, uh, it was good hearing about your uh, first year in the business. Uh, hearing about your transition from the ring to refing and possibly managing in the future. Uh, you said commentating too. Absolutely. Uh, like ring announcer commentating or finding somewhere that does like a eye pay per view and doing that or what? Either or both. I, I'd be interested in both. When I, I worked uh, when we worked at UEW, this uh, the second opening of UEW, I ring announced for a little bit. But I definitely anybody that has like eye pay per view or I know when we worked at TWA, you know we'd have Clarence. He would do live commentary as the matches yeah. were going on. You know if, if any shows still do that, I'll be interested in doing that as well. I know a lot of shows wind up getting away from that. Yeah. So it's one of those. One of those kind of things with live commentary at a wrestling show, and I've had this conversation with a few people, it's why would you want to have live commentary so when the heels are cheating, the ref, you know, the ref's not looking, but the announcer's it's back there true. going, how does the ref not see this? And the ref hears it, and he's like, how do I not see what? But he can't look because the ref's supposed to be an idiot and not catch the heels cheat. Exactly. So that was my biggest thing about live commentary at a show is, you know, why would... Why would the ref not turn around? It would be harder to cheat and do stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. So it definitely makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, yeah, ring announcers at a show, in my opinion, call the matches, hype the matches up. Maybe if the crowd starts dying, you're like, come on, let's get behind your baby face in the ring. Yay, baby face. You know, one of those kind of things, as opposed to, I can't believe the ref didn't see him hit him with that dildo or whatever he got in the ring you know <laughs> right yeah but yeah so that'll work so you know go ahead and plug the twitter again alrighty at shit underscore indie 83 come follow us we're getting a little bit of traction on there already yeah I got a few people on there following liking retweeting and all that good stuff so uh, we're gonna take a little break real quick Grab something to drink, maybe something to eat. We're both kind of fat and hungry, so Probably we'll let a you. Shady worker, you got to get fat. Exactly, but uh, we'll let you guys listen to this quick commercial, and we'll be right back. 
Okay, we are back again, I guess you could say. We uh, had a technical difficulty, I guess, if you want to say it. And the, the technical difficulty is Jason talks too damn much. Well, we didn't have any kind of warning on how long we had gone. Last time we looked at the clock, we were only 20 minutes in, so we didn't fucking know. Well, when you get to talking like this, you just get carried away and you just have fun talking to each other, and so shit happens. Exactly. So I'm going to kind of abbreviate a little bit of what I'll what all I was saying because apparently my first year had a lot of bullshit in it. Yeah, it was pretty shitty. Uh, so we'll kind of fast forward through it. My training, a uh, little different than yours. Your training. Uh, so who trained you? It started off, I saw a sign on a building that said pro wrestling training here. I go... Uh, the guy's name that ran the place was Terry Pollard. The guy that actually did the training, his name was Tommy. He used to wrestle for Paul Lee. Woo! So I got to... Uh, I actually knew him because that's the first introduction to indie wrestling I ever had was going to Paul's show. Okay. So I kind of knew the guy, so I'm like, okay. I go through the first training session. And they said, you're more than welcome to come back. You have to have a parent's signature to do it, though. Uh, mind you, my first training session, hell, the first month I went through training. Was it a month? No, it was three weeks, two weeks, something like that. Wasn't in a wrestling ring. Where did you train at then? The first week. Love how you're acting like you've not heard this story just an hour ago. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to fill time. Come on now. Uh, it was a little, in the corner of his karate studio, he had a little mat built up. It was two by fours and crash pads, I guess, to make a makeshift wrestling ring. So that's where I started bumping, started learning there, figuring out, you know, how to take a bump. The only thing I didn't know from, instead of hitting my head like you did, I never hit my head, but mine was, I was never told to breathe out when you bump. Who, who needs to breathe? Exactly, exactly. But yeah, every time I bump, if you notice, I do the little... <sighs> yeah, your little cough bump. Right. That that comes from not being told to... <sighs> when you bump. So it's just kind of... <laughs> feel like you're about to shit yourself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fast forward, I do that. Get through the first training session. Dad comes back the second training session to sign the papers... Uh, ink's not even dry where he signed the release form. The guy hooks me and says, I'm going to show you how to do a suplex. Takes me over and almost breaks my ankle. Son of a bitch. Uh, apparently he didn't watch how I was bumping to know that I was coming down and my left foot was landing perfectly fine and flat. My right foot was coming through landing on the side. I've done that plenty of times with bumps. So that's what was happening every time. He just didn't know it. So when he hooks me for the suplex, added height from him bringing me over, bam. Uh, it didn't break it, but it was, it fucked it up pretty good. Uh, fast forward, we finally move, or they're moving into where they're going to be running the wrestling show, the original UEW. Uh, Terry was one of the main guys that got it started. Uh, they're moving everything in there, so their crash pads and makeshift ring was gone. So my third and fourth training session were on, uh, what about a 
three quarter inch piece of uh, karate mat on top of the concrete floor. My bat's hurting, hurting just thinking about this. So there's that. He tries to go. We finally get into a ring the following, I think, a week after that. We're finally in a ring, still not touching the ropes. He's going through, I'm being a bump bitch. Uh, it's like, here, this is what, how you need to take this move, and this is how you take this move, and this is how you do this. The only offensive move he tried to show me was a hurricanrana. Okay, you're still green, and you're being taught a hurricanrana. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense if it was Lucha Libre, you know, something like that, but it's not. It's good old Southern Yeehaw Wrestling, and granted, I wasn't as big as I am now. I was senior in high school, so, you know, 180, 185. So he thought, yeah, her will be great. You'll be able to do this, kid. I mean, could I do it? Yeah. And that's beside the point. <laughs> Uh, fast forward another week or so, he stops coming to training. What the fuck, Tommy? Exactly. That's when Rick Mullen stepped in, like, hey kid, saw you in here, seen he's trying to do some crazy stuff. He's teaching you how to take moves, but he's not teaching you how to give them. You can start working out with me and my guys. So I start working out with Rick and the guys he was training. And then, uh, get done with training one night and he's like, Hey, uh, I hate to do this. I'm not asking you. Uh, Terry needs your money for training this week. Why? Well, apparently since I was Terry's original trainee, or training through Terry by Tommy, however it was working, uh-huh. I was still having to pay to use the ring. But he But wasn't. Rick's guys weren't paying anything. They were just there bumping with Rick. But you still had to pay. That sounds like some bullshit right there. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't like that. Rick and Terry wound up having a falling out. And he's like, hey, come with me to GXW. We'll get you in there. Hell yeah. So I go down there. Parents come to the first training session. Go ahead and sign the papers. Uh, first person I get in the ring with there at GXW, because Rick wasn't there yet, was Rush. Uh, play around with him a little bit, have a little makeshift wrestling match where I knew how to take some stuff, knew how to give some stuff just from watching it. Yeah. And, uh, so we go through, what, a five-minute match maybe. He hits something to pin me. About that time, Rick walks in. He's like, hey, you still in my trainee? What's up? <laughs> so, uh. We go through, do the actual training session. They're like, if you want to train here, we won't charge you anything. The only thing we ask is once you get done with training, wrestle for us for a year. Yeah, just like any other thing, they did the same with me. Help, Some, help clean up around the ring when the show's over, stuff like that. Hell, it wasn't even that. It was just wrestle for us for a year. Okay. I'm like, okay. So we get in. Uh, they wanted my first match to be after I got in there working and everything because... Uh, UEW, they were doing their training Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, GXW, when I started going there, I would go to the shows on Saturday just to hang out and watch. Uh, give some of the guys heat that I knew that would come 
you know, cheer the good guys, boo the bad guys, and all that stuff. Uh, I would show up early before the show, so they would get in the ring before the show would work with me. So that was a third day of training. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Sunday is when they would actually clean up, so they would open it up and the wrestlers could come. So, hell, I was training four days a week. Hell yeah. Uh, hour, hour and a half at least each. So they come to me. It's a... They're like, hey, we want to put you in the ring. We'll get you in there by Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas. This was first week of December, I think, maybe. Last week of November. They're wanting to get me in by Christmas. And uh, the guy that was wrestling in this one certain match, he also wrestled at UEW. Okay. UEW would run on Friday nights. GXW was running Saturday nights. Well, he jumps the, cra- jumps the rail and goes after somebody in the crowd. The fuck? Exactly. Uh, everybody at GX was like, UEW's trying to get us shut down. They're, they come to me after the show was over. Like, hey, this ain't nothing on you. We're going to hold off on putting you in the ring for a little while. So did they ever figure out what happened? Still to this day, we have no idea. We don't know if it was or if it was just the guy was having a bad day, so he went after somebody who was giving him heat or what. Still don't know what happened at that point. Damn. But they're like, we're going to hold off on putting you in a little while. you know. Yeah, let the heat come down. Let the heat die down. We don't want you to get in there with anybody who's still going over there that might try to hurt you because you're here. Understandable. Fair enough. So I'm like, yeah, that's fine. It's like, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. So fast forward, uh, the training session of, I already did the math, so I know I ain't even got to count now. Training session on March 8th of 2000, 2001, I'm sorry. March 8th, March 8th of 2001, go through training, roll my ankle again. What the fuck is up with this ankle? Dude, to this day, I've got rubber ankles now from where I've rolled them so many times. I can roll my ankle, and you can hear it pop a mile away, and within 10 minutes, I'm walking on it like nothing happened. I've, I've actually seen, seen you do that. But at this point, it wasn't like that. So that happens after training's over, and we're about to leave. They said, hey, we're planning on putting you in the ring Saturday if you can go. Your ankle. I said, I'll be ready. Ace managed the shit out of that again. Well, that's what I did to go to school the next day. Uh, go to school, wrapped in an ace bandage, get home. I'm like, get home from school. I'm still limping like crazy. Mom's like, is it any better? No. We go to the hospital. They give me an air cast to put on it to help stabilize it. So I wear that air cast for the first month, two months that I wrestled just to make sure nothing would happen. Oh, damn. You was determined, that was for sure. So, show up that Saturday for my first match. Got the air cast on. They're like, so what's your name? Like, shit, I don't know. (laughs) What's my name? (laughs) I'm like, Jason Brown, that's my name. They're like, no, what are you going to wrestle as? Shit, you didn't think of that, did you? No, because it was one of those spur-of-the-moment things. They're like, you're going to be wrestling, so be ready. So, Rick comes up with like, three names there was a airborne jason aries a flying jason 
fuckwad or something that started with an F for the last name. I don't remember. And hang time, Jason Hampton. That's where Hampton came from? That's where Hampton came from. Because I think I've asked you before where the last name Hampton came from, so it never was come out of nothing. It was nothing to me. I think it was like an uncle or something of Rick's that he just put with the name. Okay. I honestly have no idea. But, yeah. So, hang time Jason Hampton was born. Uh, go. I was the opening match. First person to walk out of the curtain besides the ring announcers and referee that night. Uh, ja Rule Holla Holla was my ring music. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh come out didn't have ring gear i was wearing uh olive green starter pants that had an orange stripe on the side the orange t-shirt coming out to the ring wearing a blue or green and orange jacket that matched the pants i think you had bad gear you should see my gear for my first match oh i remember that gear you had (laughs) from when i met you later (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so we go through Get done with the match. I was the first person to ever kick out of Rick Mullins' finishing move. What an honor. Well, we had a spot plan that he didn't run through the match. So he hits the finish, goes to pin me. One, two, I kick out. He's like, what are you doing? That was a finish. I'm like, you didn't do the spot. The hell are you talking about the spot? He's like, the spot. He's like, oh, okay. So he picks me up, we run through the spot, he hits his finish again, and pins me. Uh, you didn't get no heat off of that? No, because it was one of those first match, I was green, all I knew, he called the spot and we didn't do it. So this is back before I knew, you cut shit out of a match all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, so go through and I lose this match, I lose that match, I lose this match, I lose this match, you know. No, as you do when you first get in the business, you Green are. rookie, exactly. You're going to lose every match. But I know I show up one day, one Saturday, Rick wins the... He's the United States champion. He wins the TV title. So he's a double champion. He comes out the next week to start the show, both belts on his shoulders. He's like, kid... I don't want to carry both of these belts here. You be the United States champion. All right. Hang time ham, the U.S. champion. Exactly. Well, How fast did you lose it? That night. <laughs> uh, the guy, uh, he comes out. He's like, I've worked years and blah, 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 and I've had to earn everything. I've never had anything handed to me like you, you little punk-ass motherfucker. <laughs> Whatever it was he said, you know, cuts a promo. Dude sounded Canadian, but he was... He might have been. I don't know. But he was like... He wants that title, eh? You want to come out here and have everything handed to you? I'm like, I can't help what he does, dude. (laughs) You know, I didn't have mic skills. I'm a 17-year-old kid. I'm like, hey, he gave it to me. I'm I'm the champ. That's the way I see it. So, yeah, defended against him that night. Lose. Aww. Fast forward. Uh, I'm about to uh, about to graduate. And I wound up getting my first win as a graduation present. Oh, nice. Uh, the guy was wrestling. It was Switchblade. It was uh, 
the owner of GXW's son, uh, Fran and Grady, Mom and Pops, is what you called them. So it was an actual Mom and Pop wrestling show. Oh, wow. But their son, Switchblade, wrestled there, and uh, they're like, you're going to do an angle with him. You're going to lose this week, come back next week, win with a quick roll-up, and maybe have a match the following week is like the tiebreaker rubber match type thing. I'm like, okay, cool, that works. Uh, go through, I get him in a gory special. Get in, I'm stretching him, stretching him in the gory special. Hit the gory bomb, boom. Roll over, go to throw my arm over. He reaches up, grabs my shirt, and says... Happy graduation. Hope this means something to you. You pin him in that first match? One, two, three. I'm like, um... I get up, celebrate. Uh, JD, Hillbilly Slim, was the ring announcer. He comes up with the best call. He's like, our former United States champion has just won his first match. <laughs> 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 that is great. Everybody in the crowd went from cheering to what? what? But yeah, that uh, that was my first win. Come back, first actual title win. They uh, stripped all the belts. Ah, doing tournaments, I'm guessing. Uh, they stripped all the belts. They're like, we're going to do tournaments to crown new champions. We're going to turn over a new leaf here at GXW. So we go through, and I made it to the finals of three tournaments. And you lost all three. I won one of them. I just said my first title win. Uh, won the TV title. Uh, lost the United States title. And lost in the tag titles. I was tagging with Rick Mullins as Flight School. I like that name. It was fun. They... Uh, Built us as being from the Philadelphia International Airport. We came out to Motown, Philly by the Boys to Men. Hell yeah. So, I mean, it was a, it was a fucking blast. I, that was the first, you know, friend I made in wrestling. Because it was, you know, he trained me. Took me under his wing. Teaching me this. Teaching me that. Did y'all start him last for a good bit? I, it lasted a while till the affair. Wait, wait. What are you talking about, affair? Well, like I said, we became real good friends. We were hanging out all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, Monday nights, he would come through. A lot of times he would come, pick me up Monday nights. We'd go to his house. We would watch Raw, pick it apart. He'd, you know... Yeah, she questions stuff. Right, like studying tape. You know, what happened here? Why would he do that? What happened there? Uh, believe it or not, anybody who's listening to this who's never done that, watch an episode of Raw, SmackDown, go watch old episodes, pay-per-views that are on the network, whatever. Pick them apart. Find out, you know, think to yourself, why, why, why? Why would they do that there? How could they have done this, you know? And that's basically what he was doing with me. So that's the first bit of, little bit of psychology I learned was the why from going doing that stuff with him. Okay. So we used to do the same thing with the GXW shows. Uh, Fran, mom, she was the uh, commissioner. So she was a commissioner. She would come out, make the matches, your wrestling, blah, blah, blah. Commissioner, mom, that sounds like a storyline waiting to happen. It, yeah. Yeah, that was... It was unexplainable. I mean, 
hell, there was a lot about that show that was hard to explain. Uh, the Backstreet Boys' Larger Than Life was the theme song for the show. That is the best theme song I've ever heard for a wrestling show. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Grady Pops, he would always film. So he would film, we would get the tape, we would take the tape back to my house because we live not long, not far from the show. Watch the tapes. Uh, we would watch our matches. Well, this one night in particular, we wound up watching the whole show. You know, every match. Was it a good show? Not really. But we went through, we watched the whole thing. Uh, it was late because we would leave the show, grabbed a bite to eat, then went back to the house, watched. So, hell, it was 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. Damn. Uh, my parents were like, hey, it's late. Uh, Rick, you and your wife more than welcome to crash here. She was pregnant, so they're like, look, y'all can take the bed. Uh, my parents, they slept. One was on the couch, one on the love seat, blah, blah, blah. I go get in bed, shut the door. The hell, I'm sleeping. Next thing I know, there's banging on my damn bedroom door. It was Rick's wife. He's like, hey, just thought you'd like to know your tag team partner's fucking your mom. What? That is so bad. Yeah, that was kind of my reaction, I guess, if I had one, because I was asleep. So I wake up, I'm like, huh? I walk in the living room, and my dad's sitting on the couch about the same, you know, dead asleep, going like, huh? What the fuck? So, yeah, we, uh... I guess the tag team kind of dissolved right there. Well, naturally, I mean... Well, it was Sunday morning at like 5.30, 6 o'clock when I get woke up. So I hadn't been asleep long. I get up, I put clothes on, I leave. I just stayed gone, went to GXW at training. I talked to Fran. She's like, yeah, we'll let you do some singles for a while until whatever calms down, blah, blah, blah. So I go work out, go home, take a shower, go to bed. And still to this day, I don't think that's ever been talked about in my family again. Hey, well, are we talking about it right now? Yeah, but like I said, in my family, you're a different part of the family. You're not my mom or dad, which, you know, <laughs> God forbid, you know, they're divorced now, so it doesn't matter. So. Right. But still, it was, it was a traumatic experience for a... 17, 18, 17 kid. 18 year old kid to be woken up by a friend's wife going, Hey, your mom's getting fucked by somebody that's not your dad. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So, okay, so, so that, that dissolved. You started doing singles. What happened after that? Uh, do some singles. Whenever Rick came back, they put him in charge of a group. They put me in charge of a group. Uh, my group consisted of, uh, you know, Andrew Alexander. Yeah. His old tag team partner, Jason DeVille, and two guys that I actually helped Rick train, Kilauea and Vance Knuckles. Okay. And on Rick's side, it was Rick, Andrew Alexander, and Leroy Lewis. The fourth, I don't remember. I don't know why I don't remember, but it just escapes me. Uh, 
God, who was it? That's going to piss me off. You got to think of it back to 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the bad thing? I probably won't because it's been that fucking long ago. So you got this fantasy or this guerrilla warfare going on? Yeah, we get this going on. The Leroy actually still talks to this day about the day I stiffed him when I came out hitting everybody. And I don't think I did, but he said they were doing a parody of us, like how, you know, DX did the parody of the nation and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, they told me, hey, bring some of your extra stuff. Leroy's going to put it on and act like you. So, you know, Andy's acting like Jason. Rick was acting like one, either Vance or Kilauea. Uh, whoever else was in the group was acting like the other one, and Leroy was dressed up like me. So, hell, we all run out to chase him out. I slide in, get up, and I give Leroy a shot. Boom. He's like, man, you dented my skull that night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, a few other things happened. Uh, Vance and I actually became a tag team after that whole thing dissolved. Uh, Different shows opened up from people that came through GXW that, you know, I went to. They got me, uh, I got to meet the Iron Sheik. Uh, nice. Well, How'd that one go? Guy, what? How'd it go? It was good. He was nice, funny as shit, like, you know, like he is on Twitter all the time. Uh, I didn't get humbled, but I'm sure he tried to humble someone else. Uh, my dad still thought it was cool. He got to be a chauffeur. He picked him up at the airport, drove him to the show, drove him back to the airport later. So, well, hell yeah. But uh, yeah, I was opening match that night, nervous as shit, because it was the first time I'd ever had to wear actual tights. So I'm there in wrestling tights and boots for the first time, going out in front of, uh, it was like five, six hundred people in the bumfuck outskirts of Saudi Daisy. I don't think you see that many people in one place in Saudi Daisy. Uh, go out there, do the show, like I said, first match. They used us, me and the guy I was working, to set up the rest of the show. Uh, so the heel tag team came out, jumped us before, you know, in the middle of the match. Babyface tag team comes out, makes the save. And uh, that was, I think, setting up the semi-main where the main was... Uh, Iron Sheik managing the guy who was putting the show on. Chaos. Donnie Chaos. Donald Chaos. You know, whatever he was going by. Right. He was he wrestled as Chaos. His name was Donnie, Don, Donald, something like that. I don't even remember. But I know he was in the main event. So I didn't really have a lot of interaction with Sheik, but it was cool to actually meet him, shake his hand, and you know, I told him, you know, thank you for, you know, everything you've done in the business and all that good shit. Uh, that show shut down the very next day. What, how's, that, how's that work? Well, old Donnie Chaos was a con man. Came in, only paid for the building for a month. So next day, lease was up, you have to pay if you want to keep going. Right. I mean, we were up there three, four days a week leading up to it getting everything ready from building the ramp to the dressing rooms and everything. So what, did you take all the stuff? Yeah, after the show was over, apparently back the 
backed the truck up, put the ring in the truck, and took off. That's really fucked up. Well, fast forward a little bit, and you remember old WCW jobber, The Gambler? I think I've heard of that name. Somehow him and Rick got hooked up. I don't know exactly how, but he just started coming around GXW, hanging out, trainings and workout nights and all that stuff. And he would get in and try to interject. He's like, oh, hey, in WCW, we do it like this. Hey, WCW, we do this. And I'm just like, okay, guy, I'll listen to you because, you know, I was... I was a sponge, so I was trying to listen to everything. Get any information you can get and pick any brain. Hell, I was training. I was in a wrestling ring four days a week at this point. So anything I could learn from anybody, I was just like, okay, 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 okay. And uh, they bring me up and they give me the worst gimmick name ever. Okay, I've got to do this show. It was Poindexter Falkenberg III. (laughs) You're serious? I'm dead serious. I was a spoiled rich kid, daddy's boy, who daddy paid, uh, excuse me, daddy paid my way to be a pro wrestler, and he paid the refs off where I would win every match. That sounds like a pretty freaking awesome gimmick, actually. The gimmick was great, because I was coming out, baby facing the crowd, because I'm like, oh, the crowd's gonna like me, yay! Uh... It's funny as hell, though. Uh, Gambler's brother was actually the guy who was playing my dad. So the first show is the first time I ever meet the guy. I'm like, hey, this is the guy that's going to be your dad. He's going to be sitting over here. You know, make sure you make a big deal about him. Okay. Oh, God. I got to hear this. I come out. Come out. Music plays. I don't even remember what I was coming out to at that point. But I come out. Yay! I'm Poindexter. Y'all can call me Dex. You know, woohoo! Uh, go through. Everything's all well and good. See him over there. I run and jump in his arms. Dad! <laughs> that is great. Give him the biggest damn hug. Get in the ring. You know, look at him. I'm like, Dad, you talked to the ref, right? Okay. Uh... I think I won. The guy I was wrestling went for a monkey flip. When he landed, I roll him up, put the feet up on the, you know, kick the feet up on the ropes. ropes. Ref sits there, watch me, puts my feet on the ropes, gets down, counts anyway, you know. Daddy paid him off, so I would win. Uh, Fast forward on, the guy couldn't show up to a couple shows, so I'm walking out there. And, uh. You know, Ace Rockwell and Sean Temper, yeah. they were there. They actually were up at this show, too, before I, before I started wrestling at UEW with them. And uh, the way they remembered me was I was the guy that kept looking for his dad because I would come out and I'm like, have you seen my dad? Where's dad? Dad, are you here? <laughs> That's so a great keep, way to play that off. That's great. So, yeah, I would keep like looking for dad and I would, you know, looking at the ref. I'm like, hey, you talked to my dad earlier, right? Have you talked to my dad? Like, yeah, I talked to your dad, and I'm like, okay, okay, so everything... Everything's good, right? We're good? Right. So, uh, play that off. That show, I don't even remember what happened to that. It wound up, Gambler pulled out of it because of something. Uh, Michael Rocket, that I said was doing commentary at GXW, he wound up taking over rent payments on the building, so he was running his show from out of up there. Uh, wrestled up there till he finally wound up shutting that one down a couple months later. 
uh, I wrestled in a parade. Like a, a moving parade or just... A, no, a moving parade. That is fucking awesome. They they built a makeshift 10 by 10 wrestling ring on the back of a trailer. Say a 10 by 10 wrestling ring? 10 by 10. Like how the hell did y'all do anything? It was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a makeshift 10 by 10 ring. Uh, the ropes were like... 1980s WWF loose, so you couldn't really hit the ropes, but you could do a few things, bump, you know, you could bump in the ring, it was a good bumping ring, but yeah, it was just a little makeshift, you couldn't really do anything else in it. Daggum. Take two, take half a step, and you're in the middle of the ring. Oh yeah, it was, it was bad. Uh, what else happened in my first year that's worth talking about? Uh, fair parade. Uh, win the tag titles with me and, uh, Vance Knuckles. Uh, this is coming up. My year with GXW was almost over. So we win the tag titles. We're going through. GXW had a... Oh, I forgot to tell the story where I was kidnapped. You Storyline or... <laughs> Storyline. Okay, okay, let's, let's go. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to make it to a show one night. We were doing some family stuff. Uh, we went up on the river, uh, in the boat on the river, tubing with my aunt and uncle and everything. Uh, almost bit the, I bit the tip of my tongue off on that trip. Hell yeah, there you go. But I wasn't supposed to be at the show, so they were going to do a storyline where I was kidnapped. So, we wound up showing up right before the show was about to start. So, they're like, you can't get out in front of the crowd, but you can sit back here and just hang out. So, the next week, they do their TV show. And they filmed you getting kidnapped, I'm guessing? No, they filmed me being held hostage at the TV studio. With, like, torn up, dirty clothes. Like, they had had me... There for a few days, yeah. Right. So... Uh, I was upon, this is back when me and Rick were still tagging as a group and everything. Uh, Rick was some champion there, and they were using me as a pawn to get a title shot. But, uh, yeah, at this point, like I said, my year at GXW is almost up now. I'm tagging with Vance Knuckles. We're the tag champs. We're going on the TV show, and we're putting over the tag teams at GXW. Saying, you know, any of y'all want a shot or any of the other tag teams at any of the other shows in the area want a shot, you know, we'll we'll be here. Pretty much like an open challenge kind of deal. Right. Well, we never got to do that open challenge because we wound up taking a week off from GXW. We went up to UEW to just watch the show, hang out, meet some of the guys. Some guys I knew, some I didn't. Uh, so we're up there watching the show, and we pretty much decided that night while we were up there, man, this show's a lot better. We could do more, learn more. We're going to come to UEW. Right. Uh, that night is the first night I actually met Richie Die and knew it was Richie Die. Before, the only other time I'd ever seen Richie was when he was doing a gimmick at Paul Lee's called 8-Ball. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard of that one for him. It was a... He wore a... You know Lord Humongous... No. 
Lord Humongous was an old territory gimmick. It was like a hockey mask and looked like uh, demolitions, old school strap, S&M looking stuff. Oh, yeah, okay. It was that with a hockey mask on. was Lord Humongous. Uh, I actually think, I want to say Sid was Lord Humongous. I can't, I'm not going to swear to that because I could be wrong, but I think he may have played a version of Lord Humongous if he wasn't the original. But yeah, he was wearing a hockey mask, painted up black with a number eight in the center of the forehead, airbrushed eight ball on the back of his shirt. Okay. And uh, that was the first night, like I said, that I met Richie. Because he was calling shots at UEW at that point. So we go, we talk to him after the show's over. I introduce myself. Vance introduces himself. And another guy was at UEW for the first time that night, Jerry Anderson. Well, okay. So the three of us basically go meet Richie. And he's like, yeah, whenever y'all want to come back, just come on. We'll get you on the card, see how you look, and we'll get you in. So the very next week, I was talking, me and Vance were talking, and I'm like, man, I say we should go. You know, we're we're trying to get bigger. This show's drawing bigger crowds. More people are there. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think we should go. So, when you told GXW, did you get any heat with them? Did they not like it? What happened? Well, it was almost like the uh, Rick Rude jumping ship from WWF to Nitro. Okay. Where it just kind of, he showed up without saying anything. That's what I did. Looking back on it, I felt bad about it. I mean, I even went back later and wrestled a few shows at GXW to put some of their other guys over that were kind of new coming in. Right. As a way of saying, hey. As a way of being like, hey, I shouldn't have done that. Because, you know, we were the tag champs. And I wound up leaving and Vance didn't. Vance wound up staying. So, you know, do I regret the way I left? Yeah. Do I regret leaving? No. Because leaving... Leaving GXW when I left felt right because I needed to grow. Yeah, and you was, you was not getting to learn it the way you wanted to, and you was just getting cornholed right there. You wasn't going to grow Exactly, exactly. I wasn't growing. I mean, I was having... I'm not going to say good matches. I'm not going to say bad matches. I was having matches, but... You know, when just you get, to have matches, just to get them in your belt. But you right, wouldn't. you get done with a match, and you're just like, you know, it wasn't the best. You know, you feel bad that you even made the crowd suffer through it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I was getting. And that's understandable. It's a perfectly good reason why you left. I mean, I was wrestling this one guy, and I'll say his name because I don't think he's wrestling anymore. And he was a shitbird back then. And good God, he—if he is wrestling, he's even worse now. His name was Danny Rose. Uh, shot me off the ropes, and he's like, as he's backing me in, he says he's going to give me a super kick. Man, I'm coming off the ropes, and I'm a bumping fucking fool at this point. Hell, I still am. But at this point, I was bumping huge for everything. 
you know, I was taking a clothesline and landing on the back of my head. You know, I wasn't bumping flat when I take a clothesline. I'd kick it back like I'm trying to do a backflip and I can't, so I'm landing on the back of my head. Yeah, concussions. No, nah, those didn't exist. I told you that last week. Oh, shit. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> Must have been the concussion. But yeah, I was taking, taking massive bumps, you know, ready for whatever. So he shoots me off and he says, super kick. So I come back. This son of a bitch throws a super kick. And I swear to God, I'm ready to bump. And I take a huge bump because I see the foot starting to come up. So I get ready. He didn't hit you. He kicked me in the fucking shin. The fuck. And I'm like, man. So that happens. So that's already a man. So just bad taste in my mouth. So I'm like, I got to get out of here. I got to try to, I got to learn more, get better. And like I said, did I want to leave? No, but yes. Should I have left a different way? Definitely. But I got to UEW. Uh, that's where I met. Shit, that's where I met a lot of people. Ace Rockwell, really. That's where I really met and got to know him. Tempers. Uh, ben Thrasher. Drew Delight. I mean, just... Jerry Anderson, that's where me and him started. We started tagging up at GX or UEW. And I mean, just a whole lot of fucking great workers. There's one... I'm... I'm sad that you never got to see this guy work. His name was Nick Rampage. I think I've heard of that name. God, he was fucking phenomenal. He was he was the easiest guy that I have ever worked with. I mean, still to this day, if if I could go back and wrestle him now, or wrestle him then with the knowledge and stuff that I have now, we could have sent that tape into any fucking company and got a job. Damn, that's awesome. I mean, he was that damn good. He could have got signed, I think, if he would have put forth the effort and tried to go. Mm -hmm. I think he could have. And I mean, that's where I got to work with a lot of guys like that. Uh, it's where I met uh, my buddy John Williams that you've met a couple times. Yeah. Uh, he was wrestling as Spitfire back then. I mean, leaving GXW was the hardest and easiest decision I ever made. I mean, I wanted to go... I was still thinking, you know, I'm 18 years old. I'm thinking, if I get better, I can make it to, you know, ECW was gone, WCW was gone. I didn't know anything about the big indies at the time. I didn't know about Ring of Honor. I didn't know, you know, stuff like that even existed. Right, yeah. <clears throat> I just knew, hell, if I can get better, if I can learn, I can go to WWE. I can be on Raw. I could be on SmackDown. I could, you know, I can do that. So that was my mentality. What can I do? And then I get to, I get to UEW, meet the guys... And then, you know, I guess you should say career takes off from there. And then 
small roadblocks that I'll get into in later episodes and different things like that. Uh, my first year is over, so I'm not going to go into much more. We can talk about all that stuff in the future. Oh, yeah, we got plenty more episodes to come talking about different things. But yeah, so my first year, I uh, started at a karate studio with a almost broken ankle. Uh, a few more rolled ankles and a fair, uh, you know, failed attempt at being a rich kid and all that good stuff. Sounds like one shitty year. It was a definite shitty year. But uh, looking at the clock, it's getting late. I've talked enough. You've already given your story, so... Next week, not really sure what we'll talk about yet, but hopefully you'll come back. Uh, maybe we'll be able to be a little funnier and not have to go through the affair stories and all that good shit. Yeah, hopefully we can get the technical difficulties worked out. We won't have to keep re-recording. But yeah, uh, we'll plug Twitter one more a couple of times before we get out of here. Yep, at shit underscore Andy 83. Check us out. You know, you can get on there, message us, tell us how you like the podcast, tell us how much you hate it, like it, any of that stuff. Give us ideas. Hell, if you're a shitty indie worker yourself, you want to be on the podcast, you can, you know, message us and let us know. We've already got a couple of couple of shitty workers that want to come on here and join us. We got a shitty promoter that wants to join us. I think, and, I think a shitty fan actually wants to be on there too. Yeah, we can get the shitty fans' perspective, so we'll uh, hopefully get this thing buttoned up to where we can get everything better in the future. Yeah, I know there's a few things we got to work on, but said second podcast, we're still working out everything, trying to get everything to a fine comb. So hopefully, mainly we got to get our timing down. Yeah, our timing's about. There is some dead spots that we have every now and then. We're going to start writing down formats. And Dead spots. we still got the ums and uhs, but hell, I do that when I'm talking normally. So a podcast is is he, really bad for me. I can take 10 minutes to tell a two-second Yeah, you story. pause every 10 minutes. He talks too much. I talk too fast. So we're working through everything. So hopefully we ain't turned y'all away too bad. Uh, once again, uh, find us on Twitter at shit underscore indie 83. Uh, Indy, I-N-D-Y. I saw a debate on Twitter the other day talking about what's the proper way to spell Indy. <laughs> Whether it was with a Y or an I-E. I-E. It's a Y. So, shit underscore Indy 83 on Twitter. Find us on there. And, you know, for now, this has been Tales of a Shitty Indie Worker with me, Jason Hampton. Me, Josh Cox. Uh, hopefully this wasn't too shitty, and we'll talk to you again next week, fuckers. See you later, shitheads.